when I start talking about the Delphi crimes that occurred to Abby and Libby, February 13th, 2017 in Delphi, Indiana, this case is staggering. It has been six years since the incident occurred where two beautiful girls who are 13 and 14 had a day off from school and went for a walk in the woods, went to explore the high bridge and um, took a picture on Snapchat at 2.07 and then were never heard from again. I'm also going to share with you some of the information of the defense the defense counsel for the man who right now is arrested for doing the crimes of unaliving Abby and Libby back in 2017 is a man named Richard Allen. And Richard Allen, his defense counsel just this week, published a 136-page document that reveals for the very first time the crime scene. And it also talks about a neo-pagan religion called Odinism as well as a white nationalistic group that has hijacked Odinism in Indiana and that they are asserting in this 136-page document that there is a conspiracy to pin the crime on Richard Allen and that members of like the jail where he's being kept are secret members of this cult and that there are other people, other members of this cult and that it's not Richard Allen. And it's interesting. I will tell you when I actually started looking at this case, it was simply last night when I was live on TikTok. every Friday at nine 11 Eastern standard time PM, I go live on TikTok and I will just do true crime mediumship. And it's where I help people with true crime, cold cases, missing persons. And then this, like last night, I decided to just jump on and um, talk about some of the major breaks and bombshells this week in terms of cases that have riveted the uh, the minds and has just broken the hearts of our nations because of the sadness of the people who are involved in these crimes. So, for example, in Boulder, Colorado, this week, John Benet Ramsey and the sad loss of her life, well, guess what? There's new DNA evidence that the Boulder, uh, Colorado police have shared, not exactly what the, the new evidence is, but they said it's leading to new persons of interest that they are investigating. That case is from like 26 years ago. There was also an arrest that was made on the unaliving of Tupac Shakur. And that is another case that has broken hearts and has just captured people's attention about like what happened, who did this to Tupac. So I talked about those cases last night. And then the very last one that I spoke about was the Delphi crimes, because the bombshell of this 136 page document is that literally that it, at the center, all of this is a cult known as Odism. And if you have ever watched the TV show Vikings, there is the savage pagan religion that is intertwined with the Norse and the Scandinavian ancient tribes and people of those times. I also want to say back in 2014, Matthew McConaughey had this breakthrough in his career because he did a brand new HBO TV show called True Detective. True Detective actually occurred 
in 2014. And the opening scene that is so haunting, it was really hard for a lot of people to watch, was a scene with a pagan ritual crime scene. And it's very similar to how these girls were found unalived in Indiana. So there's a couple of things that I'm, I'm going to be talking about over the course of this podcast. I want you to know if you are sensitive to crime and children, this might not be the podcast for you. I do not choose to be somebody that gets into the gore and the details. I, I am very intuitive because I'm a medium, but I'm also, I really appreciate science and reason and logic. Ultimately, I want to say that the evidence while we speak for itself and what I'm offering are ideas and speculation. And I also want you to understand that um, I really honor law enforcement agencies, the work that they do to the work that they do. They're humans. They make mistakes just like I make mistakes too. Okay. Like right now the light's going all weird. It's not a perfect podcast. Hey, there's less repercussions for me. I just embarrass myself or I make mistakes. Right. But when it comes to law enforcement agencies, of course, the stakes are way higher. And I also have to say that the way that evidence is collected by law enforcement agencies has a tremendous impact in the courtroom and the judicial process that actually uh, unfolds based on like evidence collection and um, many other factors. We're not going to get too technical with that. We're going to stick to the more the intuitive stuff, which I assume is why you're here. Uh, but I just want you to know I'm going to be playing between both of them. I also will let you know, I did not do mediumship on the two girls. And instead I use a different energetic technique to be able to remote view the crime scene. And one of the first things that I'm going to share with you, which is again, it's based on my intuition. So please understand, I'm not stating this as a fact, but I will tell you like last night when I was doing this remote viewing on the crime scene, I will share with you that I actually see three men at the crime scene, not just one. So this is an important piece that is that is puzzling a lot of experts and um, and a lot of the people in the true crime community about whether it was just one person involved. Is it possible for one person to have done these savage crimes? This is a lot of what's this is really going to be important to the case, particularly when it is actually tried in court in front of a grand jury. Now, something else that I want to say is really interesting with the crimes. First of all, let me just give you some details. I will provide source and links to everything that I share so you can also make your own informed opinion. I want to show you this graphic of how the girls were actually found unalived. This is the major bombshell. Nobody understood that there was this ritualistic aspect to the way that their lives ended. They were found very much like that, the true detective image with Matthew McConaughey. So you can see like horns and you see the tree. And then here is the way that the bodies were uh, laid out. And then I will just also, I just also want to put in here an image of Odin. And also, I just want to share with you the way that Odin was able to uh, cultivate his power as a god is that he actually hung from a tree for nine days and nights. 
he was at the verge of actually completely losing his life when suddenly these ancient runes, these sigils appeared to him. And this is what runes are based off of. These are the runes of Odin. And the reason why I'm bringing this through is because when they actually located these missing girls, which was the following day, shortly before noon on February 14th, 2017, they discovered that there were um, like branches and, and twigs, full branches that were placed purposely on top of the girls. And uh, there was Libby who had her arm raised up towards the tree where there was also that on the tree was the rune Fehu, which was actually in, which was actually placed on the tree in, um, in, in her blood. And so there's one arm reaching up, one arm reaching down. And then we have these very, um, the strange sticks and branches that were placed on top of her. And then off to the side is Abby. They said that there were twigs that look like, like, look like horns coming from her head. And, um, and that she also had a specific, had specific, branches and twigs and sticks placed on top of her. Now at the time, from what I was able to understand and gather was that actually police just thought that it was a shoddy job. They thought, okay, somebody was just trying to hide the crime and that it wasn't until two weeks later that suddenly they decided they needed to go back and call and actually grab the sticks and the branches that they think were used in part of the crime. And then the blood splatter, which looks like an F to some of the law enforcement agencies that was on the tree, that was actually never retrieved. It was never, you know, the tree wasn't cut down. The the specific like splatter was never removed and collected as evidence. Now it's interesting, almost immediately, the FBI were part of the case. The FBI came in on February 14th to assist with trying to locate the missing girls because they literally had the community, they had the fire department, they had state police, local police, FBI, and other uh, natural agencies, like I think like the forestry group and things like that, working to try to locate these girls. And so- Almost immediately, from what I have read, uh, there the FBI actually thought that there was a ritualistic appearance to these crimes and that they felt that there was a ritualistic piece to the crime. It's interesting because energetically what I download remote viewing this horrific crime is that there was a ritual. Okay. So my, my gift and what I do, I actually see that there was ritual involved with this. And to me, when I look at the symbols that were placed on top of the girls, I actually see this as being connected to the, the meaning of the runes. Okay. I'm going to explain that a little bit more, but I will let you know that the expert, the ritual expert has gone on record to say, and this was for a new segment for court TV. She actually went on to say that she truly believes that this was a ritualistic unaliving of the two girls. Now let's get into some of the things that I have brought through. 
one is that when I start to remote view the circumstances, first of all, I do not believe that Abby or Libby were stalked before the crime occurred. So I want you to know very specifically, I believe that they were in the wrong they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. I also believe that their intuition alerted them. Hence the uh, rec audio recording, which was evidence that was actually released back in 2017, which was of a man's voice saying down the hill. And now there's an entire podcast devoted by Court TV called Down the Hill, if you want to do a deeper dive into the specifics of the case. But uh, I, I find it quite intriguing that one of the girls knew intuitively that something wasn't right and used the audio on her phone. So she actually grabbed her phone, recorded the audio, and then um, actually that ended up being a piece that has been pivotal and important to the development of this case in that particular audio is that there was a sound of what sounded to be a, a, a weapon that was being racked. Okay. It's interesting too, because when the crime scene was discovered and when the FBI had an opportunity to look at the case, they felt like there was a, this was a ritualistic uh, crime. Now, the interesting thing is, and, and this is a detail that didn't come out for some time until like, <laughs> I think uh, several years later, and maybe it wasn't until 2022, that they discovered a, a bullet uh, shell that was unused and it was discovered in between the bodies of the two girls. So that is how that piece of evidence, from what I understand, and I don't have all the details of this case, so I'll just understand it's all speculation. That is part of how they were able to put together the arrest for uh, for Alan, because he actually owned a, a 40 caliber weapon at his house. There's a couple other things. And it's like, this is where I started to get overwhelmed and I get frustrated because I'm like, what direction do I go into? Because this is such a massive case, but I'm just going to be very simple and it's beautiful. I just saw a feather literally float by outside of the window, which is giving me encouragement to keep going and not be so hard on myself. Sometimes my own inner critic can stop me from making content. So let me keep going. I will tell you that when I start to see that they were not stalked, but that they were, um, they were sort of randomly chosen. I actually think that they knew, I actually believe that the men that were involved in this particular crime knew that it was a day off from school because it was an unused snow day. So everybody had the day off. The girls had a great time that weekend. They had a slumber party. They were painting. They they were so excited to go out and hike. It's like they maximized their time because they had that extra day. And I feel that the individual that was there in the woods that actually did the crime, I believe, was walking around looking for someone that would be susceptible to the crime. And I believe that's what happened when he spotted them at the high bridge. They were taking pictures at the, at the entrance to the high bridge. And there's actually a video, a very pixelated video of a man wearing a blue jacket, denim. It looks like he has like either a fanny 
bag on, like a brown fanny bag or an extra sweatshirt underneath. And they have him wearing like a old timey hat, I guess you would say. And uh, he's walking down the bridge. So there is a video of the suspect, but it's very pixelated and it's hard to actually clearly identify face features. They have made a like a sort of a forensic sketch over who they believe it is. Um, but they didn't have like a specific, they didn't have really detailed images. I think, I think they knew that they had been followed. I actually feel that there's speculation that the video that shows the man that's walking on the actual bridge itself, the high bridge, I want you to understand that, that I think they intentionally, I think that they pretended to shoot pictures of one another and that I actually feel that they were in the foreground, okay, of the image. And there's other people out here who believe this, that the police just simply cropped down on the figure who was walking across the bridge that day. I just want to say, I really feel like they sort of felt the energy of somebody following them. I also believe that they knew something was just definitely wrong uh, when they made that audio recording on their phone that day. And so uh, at 315, 317, one of their dads, his name's Derek, came to pick the girls up and the girls never showed up. And that's what triggered the alarm and sent people into searching for their bodies uh, in the woods, in the Delphi woods there uh, until midnight. And then they resumed the search the next day, and which is when they found the bodies. And so FBI were already on scene and FBI uh, believed that there had been some kind of ritualism to the crimes. But for whatever reason, uh, some of what I've gathered online is that they were actually, the FBI was actually uh, kicked out from assisting in the case. I don't know how that structurally works when you have state and local uh, police working on a crime and the FBI happen to be there. I don't know if they have the power to just kick the FBI out. If you guys want to let me know in a comment, that would be super fantastic. I don't always understand how the agencies work together. But let's talk about the setting itself, because I find this quite interesting. Delphi, Indiana was actually founded in 1828. It was named after the ancient Greek city of Delphi, a site that's famous for its oracle. I also have to say that it was, it has a very, it's a very small town. It is a small community feel. It is blue collar workers. There are less than 3000 people who live there. Most of the people know each other. And um, that prior to this incident, there were no other tragic events that were at this level. I mean, it's truly, a, it, it, most people considered this a safe, close-knit community until these shocking crimes occurred. Unfortunately, after these shocking crimes occurred, obviously everybody got into that energy of uh, feeling unsafe and that many of the other residents were you know, untrustworthy. And I have to say it's really sad because of the, the tragic violence and the crimes of these two girls. I have to say, not only was it a tragic loss in terms of Abby and Libby, and uh, and the, the pain that their immediate family and friends suffered, but there was a loss for this community as well. So I just want to take a moment to honor that kind of energetic shift when that happens. 
This is interesting too. Okay. So, um, one of the things that I did is I was like, well, let's just, let me just do a little bit on the history of Delphi. So let me share something with you. The history of Delphi is deeply intertwined with the mysteries of the divine and the esoteric. So according to the wisdom passed down through ages and historical accounts, myths, as well as legends about Delphi, it is actually believed that the Oracle at Delphi was established by the pharaohs of the Ethiopian dynasty. And that's why the Greeks would portray Delphos, okay, as actually very dark skinned. So the Oracle at Delphi was considered a powerful spiritual center. It was a nexus of divine energy and wisdom. It was a place where the veil between the worlds was thin and divine and that the divine could communicate with mortals much easier at this location. The Oracle was not just a place of prophecy, but also was a place of great healing. So people would actually travel to the Oracle of Delphi, not to so they could figure out always like what's going to happen in their future, but so that they could actually experience the healing energy of Delphi. Now, what I started to do was ask if there was any connection between Delphi and Odin, who is that uh, Norse god. Now, Odin is a deity from a different pantheon and cultural context just so you understand. So we have the, we have the strange name of this town, which is Delphi. And then we have the horrible crimes of Abby and Libby, which is connected apparently, uh, as the defense council presented in this 136 page document that there is Odinism. So Odin is a deity from a different pantheon and cultural context from the Norse. Okay, which is actually separate from Greek and Egyptian cultures, which Greek and Egyptian cultures are what influenced Delphi. However, what is interesting is that all of these cultures share a common belief in the power of prophecy and the existence of divine entities that can provide guidance and wisdom. So understand, we could say that there's a lot of similarities between how Odin was able to receive divine knowledge. So Odin was also known as the all father in Norse mythology. He achieved profound spiritual power through a self-sacrificial act in his relentless pursuit of wisdom and understanding. He actually hung himself from the world tree and then he was pierced by his own spear he did that for nine days and nights, and it was a symbolic death. It was a surrender of the physical to a, attain the spiritual. And on the ninth night, he perceived shapes in the depths below him, which are known as the runes, which were merely an alphabet, but they were symbols of deeper cosmic truths. So he seized these runes, thus gaining wisdom and power. And the act of sacrifice and the subsequent acquisition of the runes marked a significant enhancement in Odin's spiritual power. So the history of runes is now that people have access to more esoteric knowledge. You can just simply go to Amazon and buy runes. Runes are a type of divination tool. And so um, understand that they have always been considered as a way to get divine knowledge to help provide clarity and, within your life. It's very similar to tarot. 
and it's very similar to I Ching. So I just wanted to share that uh, with the advent of Christianity, the perception of runes changed dramatically. They started to be associated with a death charm or a curse, and they were very much considered devilish. The Christian belief held that witches would cause death by casting the runes. But despite this, the casting of the runes, uh, the type of divination that people would get from it persisted and even went on to influence English language, such as riddle me this, and also the use of readings to mean fortune telling. So I find that quite interesting. And going back to the energy of Delphi and the energy of what is defense council is saying is Odin. Um, it's just energetically, it's very interesting to me. It's just layers to the story that I think make this particularly mysterious. Let's, I think that's a good way to say it. Very mysterious. I will say that when I remote view this particular crime scene back in 2017, I actually see a very dark energy. And it's not just because of the unaliving of these two girls, but I actually see a circle that has been cast around this space, which is connected to like a darker entity. Now that's full woo-woo. Uh, and it is also when I connect to the space of what occurred there that I actually see three men. I don't see one. I actually see three. And what's interesting, as I started to read through the 136 pages put together by the defense council, they actually go on to talk about some things that are quite interesting. I'm going to actually paraphrase from that 136 document, which is that the evidence suggests that a members of a pagan Norse religion, which is hijacked by white nationalists, actually sacrificed Abby and Libby. The Delphi investigation team consulted with a professor who claimed he said, oh, I don't think it's Odinism or any type of cult worshiping. So that's why they actually abandoned the Odinism angle. However, the team can't identify the professor that actually gave this information and may never be able to figure out who that particular individual was. But a former Rushville assistant police chief, whose name is Todd Click, along with law enforcement officers named Kevin Murphy and Greg Ferency, they actually worked on the Delphi case and gathered evidence connecting men who practice Odinism in or near the Delphi area. And that it was connected to another group of men who lived in Rushville and then connected these men to gr other groups of men that are also connected to the murder. Mm. So, um, by the way, they do feel the defense council feels that there's a larger conspiracy that's happening here and that there's a conspiracy to pin all of this on Richard Allen and that he isn't the man that actually did it. So I understand innocent until proven guilty, but let me just jump in here and say that he has confessed five times to having committed these crimes. And uh, so I, I find that intriguing, but some people say that's because he's been in solitary for months and that and that he his mental health is declining. So I'll let you decide with your own intuition what you believe on that. But let's keep going. Okay, so Click became concerned that the leadership of the investigation team had failed to share evidence with prosecutor, which led him to draft a letter in May of 2023. 
the prosecution in Richard Allen's case, and this is being presented just so we, I can just be very clear, is being pre presented by Richard Allen's defense counsel. He actually says the prosecution in Richard Allen's case withheld exploratory evidence, including an 85-page report and videos that supported the defense's theories of evidence. The report contained information from the FBI's behavioral analysis unit, all right, that gets involved with unalivings like this particular case. And they said that that 85-page report was not revealed to the defense until recent de depositions. The defense received some of the evidence on September 8th of 2023, over nine months after entering their appearance. The defense is still reviewing the evidence, but has already found evidence that requested a, a meeting with Todd Click. So Todd Click was that former Rushville assistant police chief, right? The defense team has taken several depositions, okay, and has become very aware of odinistic evidence. And he says that the prosecution had tried to hide this information from the defense, but that they figured it out regardless. They said Richard Allen has no connections to paganism, cults, or crime scenes. As an intuitive, I don't, mm, I feel like there's smoke here. I, I think that I think there's smoke here. I just find it intriguing. I am, I'm just going to leave it with you to decide what you think. But he says, he goes on to say that the Delphi case involved the use of runes, symbols from the pagan religion, religion, uh, Odinism, and that it was fashioned, that the, the sticks, the branches were fashioned in a rune-like pattern over the girls, which by the way, when I looked at this evidence, I actually see rune, I actually see symbols of runes in terms of how the branches were laid and that it was connected to several different runes or sigils, okay? Sigils are an energetic symbol to evoke a particular energy. So in this 136 page report that there's accusations, this is where they get to Brad Holder. And they said that he was cleared of being involved with the unaliving of these two, two girls within 30 days of the crime, despite evidence, particularly with his social media account that shows that he's into Odinism or into pagan mythology. And one of his sons supposedly dated one of the girls that was unalived and they found similar runes in his possession from what I understand. So there was actually a man in Georgia. So this is outside of Indiana. This is like out of a man in Georgia whose name is Ryan Boucher. He actually discovered an image on Brad Holder's social media, which showed two women posed as if they were unalived with tree limb sticks arranged on their bodies. Kind of weird. R Ryan Boucher contacted law enforcement after seeing disturbing images on Brad Holder's social media sites, which included a woman with her arms stretched out above her head, similar to the Delphi crime scene. And then it, I have to say, when he shared this information, the defense team said that that he wasn't really his information wasn't really taken seriously. So there's another man. His name is Elvis Fields. 
He was a suspect in the Delphi crimes. And he was he was a suspect because he asked a state trooper if he would be in trouble if he had spit that was found on one of the girls. Okay, but that he could explain it away why it was there. He also admitted to his sister that he had spit on one of the girls and that it was going to go away for a long time. So I don't know if this is hearsay, but this is part of that 130 page document. So the defense counsel actually says that the police failed to pursue links between the crime scene and Odinism. Uh, One of the other outside of this document and um, one of the other things that I just want to share with you or remind you is that the twigs that were discovered on top of the girls were not actually collected for evidence until two weeks later. Now, I'm going to just jump to another page within this document where they're making claims that sergeants are actually have Facebook posts that reveal their ties to Odinism. And they're, they're really looking at law enforcement agencies. They also make a claim that like other officers are part of this conspiracy. I'll let you know, energetically, when I do remote viewing on this particular case, I don't see a larger conspiracy, but I do see three men that I feel were there at the crime scene. Uh, And I feel like one was more of a witness uh, to the crimes. And I feel there was one man who actually initiated the harm and uh, and that there was a second man who helped move and adjust the bodies. Uh, So I actually that's just me. This is without, you know, actual tangible evidence. This is just me using my gifts and my abilities. Now, I want you to understand neo-paganism is very popular, particularly with the younger generations. I want you to understand that I'm not saying if you are neo-paganism that you would do acts like this, because I don't want to turn this into like a type of witch hunt or or that people for their religious beliefs should be prosecuted for, for what they believe in. There are always good and bad people, and that's within every religion or every faith. So it's just something I wanted to share that I feel is really important as well. So, um, so let me just step back in and sorry, I'm just looking at this document. Um, I also, the other thing I just want to say here really quick while we're talking about like, you know, while we're talking about like the interesting, the, the strange energy of the area, I also want you to know that I lived back in the day in Chicago for close to six years. And I dated somebody that lived in Bloomington, Indiana and, uh, oh, sorry, his family lived in Bloomington, Indiana. So we would actually, and this is a personal story. So a little time out from all of this, we would actually drive from Chicago to Bloomington, Indiana, which interestingly enough, when you drive from Chicago to Bloomington, Indiana takes you through some of the areas that are near Delphi. And I remember we were almost out of gas one day and I was like, Hey, I think we should stop here and get gas. And then at my, my friend at the time said, we can't stop into this town. We can't stop here and get gas. In fact, everybody in Indiana knows better than to stop in this town. And I said, why? And so I was told that the grand dragon of the KKK, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this on social media, Uh, But the Grand Dragon of the KKK supposedly lived in this Indiana town, which I can't remember the name of it. And um, that's probably better for me to not name the town. 
Uh, but I want you to understand that Indiana actually had this very strange past, this other history with the KKK, and um, and that the KKK really rose to prominence in India, Indiana politics after World War One, and it was made up of mostly native-born white Protestants. They had many different income and social levels. And, um, and that they were, this group was against Catholics, Jews, African-Americans, immorality and drinking. All right. So I have to say that the, um, that there was this very interesting New York times article that I also came across and that was published in August of 1995. And it just, I'll just tell you that like there was a man named Don Roberts, a building contractor, opened an old trunk that he found in a barn loft, okay? And he discovered a list of signatures on brittle paper, and it was dated in the early 1920s, and it bared the names of some of the community's most prominent men of the era. And it was a membership list for the Ku Klux Klan from 1923 to 1926. The find forced the upscale city of Indianapolis, which is actually just like like a an hour from Delphi, um, to confront its racist past. And so, while a lot has changed in the world from 1926 to 2023, I find it interesting that it is a white nationalistic group that is tied to this Odinism. I'm like, well, why would white, you know, why would these white nationalists want to attack two white girls? Like if I were just, you know, trying to just look at the rationale behind that, because it doesn't make sense to me why they would have been attacked. And then um, one of the media outlets, somebody had shared that one of the mothers had dated many different ethnic background individuals. I just want to say to me, energetically, this is very flimsy. Like to me, energetically, I, I don't feel that these girls were picked because mom was dating people who had different ethnic backgrounds. But again, I don't have evidence for any of this. I just want to say it's my speculation. I really don't feel that that's the reason why the girls were chosen. I do think that this was a ritualistic unaliving. Uh, and I actually believe it was to gain, uh, like to the idea was to gain, I think one spiritual, like gaining spiritual favor from ancient Norse gods to suddenly gain wisdom or have like abilities. So I just want to say, I call bullshit on that. I, second thing is I find there's something about the true detectives season one the way that those crimes were staged that I actually feel like there's just darkness in the hearts of these men connected to petty stuff. But that being said, um, I did a Google image search of the uh, symbols that were used at the crime scene. And um, while I could identify two runes that were also um, placed within the uh within the crime scene. And I will just go back to my phone really quick and look at the, the names of these runes, because like I said, I don't really practice this. I will show you this particular 30 say 30 say is a rune 
which is about a defensive force and disruption. And I see this clearly on uh, Libby. And then the rune that I see placed on top of Abby is actually called Naudhis. And this is about uh, coming through challenge and about stepping into manifestation. Now, oftentimes when I see sigils and when I see runes, I actually choose to see the positivity of this ancient uh, re religion or faith. I I have been friends with people who were neo-paganisms and, and um, blood offerings on altars were things that some of the Odinist people do perform. But to do a complete sacrifice, this is something quite different. This is um, mental health issues, and this is just total violent crime. So wrapping things up, there's still a lot of information to uncover. And it's been really hard for me to understand what happened to Abby and Lib Libby. But I particularly feel that there were that there are two other men that are that should be indicted. I also will let you know that there is no direct DNA at this point that I'm aware of uh, that ties uh, Richard Allen to the, these crimes. It is a reason why he's being charged with a felony crime as opposed to first degree murder, because there is actually no specific evidence. Um, and part of the reason why I just wanted to bring up the the odd KKK stuff is because um, these documents that of of the uh, prominent uh, Ku Klux Klan members from the uh, 20s, actually, that's actually all archived just an hour from the Delphi crimes. So if there are some families that have that kind of ancestral trauma of prejudice, of racism, right? Because I know a lot of us are working to raise our vibration and our level up, and some people are not. There are some families where, you know, racism is inherited. And is that something at play with these crimes? It could be. But I actually energetically feel that these girls were at the wrong place, the wrong time, and that there was, I think that that person, the person who actually did the crimes, uh, because I don't want to name anybody with the person that I see doing the crime out of just respect for the judicial process. So we'll just say the suspect, the person that committed this crime, I will say, knew that there would be young teenagers there that day. And I think this person was looking for the right profile to harm. So heavy. So it's a lot of information. This is a very different type of podcast for me. Um, there were negative energies that were present at the, at the time of these beautiful girls being uh, un unalived. I will help you know that the power of angels and the power of source itself was present. I don't feel that the girls uh, necessarily suffered and that I wish the families get the justice that they seek, but it never brings the girls back from the crimes. So it is through awareness of what occultism is, what, um, what 
ritualistic sacrifices, which is absolutely unnecessary in 2023, be it humans or animals. I don't see that sacrificing anything is necessary. Uh, so let me know what you think. Sorry, we're I'm sort of ending this on like a heavy note, which is that we have to wait and see what actually will be um, the final outcome of this particular case. Uh, the defense team has, has uh, brought forth a lot of information. I will also tell you that the um, prosecutors actually brought forth, and I'm just looking here really quick, hold on really quick. I'm just looking for the prosecutors. They actually think the prosecutors actually state, they think it's a narrative that's colorful, dramatic, and unprofessional. And so the prosecutors uh, don't actually, um, they think that this was a very unprofessional document that was brought forth. So You'll have to make your own decisions about who did the crime, what your own impressions are, but ultimately we have to trust our judicial systems to bring justice to this tragic loss of these two girls. If I have more information, then I will definitely do an, another podcast on it. So with light and love, I just want to evoke the archangels, the highest source above to help bring serenity and protection to anybody who has listened to this podcast. Let heaviness, let darkness be cast out and allow ourselves to step into the role of the light worker and understand that the hardships that we face in our lives, that they are hardships that we have the ability to overcome. Every adversity, every hardship that is in our life, it is for a season. It is not forever. And that with courage and a brave heart, we can step forward. And we, hopefully, the light workers that are interested in seeing justice in this, may we also hope to find justice within our lifetime. So with that, uh, thank you so much. Uh, if you want to join my free Facebook group, it is called True Crime Medium Camilla. And I deeply appreciate that you took time to listen to this podcast, which 100% is imperfect um, and very different for me. So I just have to appreciate the energy and hope that I was able to communicate as fairly and as justly as possible. So thank you so much. I'll see you in my very next podcast.